HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers all across the country. We are a network. It is good. Uh, today I'm on the phone with Mike Bowman from Groundswell Sea Farm in Maine. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hello. So um, I wanted to start out by asking you a little bit about where your farm is in Maine and if you could describe um, the young farmer scene uh, that's going on in the proud state of Maine. Uh, sure. I'm where our farm is in Solon, Maine, which is central Maine. We're probably an hour and a half from the coast. Uh, I grew up here in the town next door in Cornville. And I went away, went to college for sustainable agriculture at the University of Maine in Orono, and worked on several farms in state, and I have traveled out of state, and I find myself back here starting our seed farm. Um, so central Maine is much more affordable than coastal Maine. Also, not a bad idea. And you're being from there. Um, what's the growing? What's the growing uh, climate there? Oh, it's getting better every year with the, uh, you know, the global warming and everything. Um, I think we're zone four, so we have a good number of days between frosts. Um, I don't know. So, so we were. Or what? What we were going to talk about is 
the kind of landscape around where you are and kind of in, more broadly in Maine and then maybe why you decided to choose seed farming. Okay. Um, let me see if I can do that justice because I've just been at the grindstone mainly for the past five years um, trying to build up a farm. So I don't get out that much. So I'm kind of a recluse worker on the, the ground of organics. So I'm kind of at a loss there to describe what the... Oh, that's fine. You can talk about your own grindstone if you want. <laughs> talk about your business. Okay, sure. Uh, we came back to Maine in 2007, and we were desperately trying to just buy a place. But then we soon found out that wasn't a good option. So we decided to join arms with family and try to give it a go. And we've been working on the farm ever since. Um, and for us, I guess I've always felt the kind of a clash between industrial organic and local organic. <clears throat> and I, I probably don't want to get into this too much, but from what I understand, it, if you have a large, large farm, it's really hard to do a, a monocrop large farm organic. And uh, our philosophy with organics is more of an agro-ecosystem approach. We are trying to develop enterprises that work with each other and kind of feed off each other. So, for instance, we have, we have pigs, and a lot of our vegetable waste will go right to the pigs. And in turn, their manure goes into the soil to provide fertility for our crops. So it's a nice cycle to be a part of. And that's where I get a lot of inspiration is the cycle of life, you know, biology over over money. So, so we thought seed would be a good way to continue that cycle. So I like this theme. I like this theme very much of um, biology triumphing over money. Um, I feel like at the end of the day, biology will triumph over money. Though it's, it's we're you know we're we're in the middle of a pretty intense part of that narrative. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the the seed, the organic seed business. Okay, so um, we grow on a total of seven acres, and a third of that is for wholesale vegetable produce, and two-thirds of it is for seed, and uh, that two-thirds, there's a portion where we grow wholesale seed crops for other seed companies, and we also grow seed for our seed catalog, which is in its second season now. 
We're pretty excited. So, in, in, in a little bit of a way, you're kind of like the people who start up shipping milk to um, a processor while they're building their milk room and their yogurt, they're buying up their yogurt equipment so they can sell their own home brand. Is that working for you? Yeah, it's kind of working. Uh, we're, you know, we're still in the middle of it, so it's it's hard to tell where we're at so far. We still need to do the books for this last year, so, you know. I I think it's working, though. It's, it's giving some cash flow at the, in the moment, and then the seed crops are are nice because if they were grown well and saved well, it's not such a perishable product. So, in that sense, it's really good. Are you focusing on uh, varieties that are unique to Maine or adapted to Maine growing or for smaller-scale growers, or do you have a, um, some kind of a purpose in your uh, choices around your varieties? Uh, we're, we're trying to save varieties that... Um, aren't readily commercially available and also preserve some of the, the standards that my relatives used to grow, like Jacob's Cattle and Marifax, Dry Beans. Um, this state used to do really well with dry beans and wheat production, which is another crop that we're, we're toiling with developing some heirloom wheat varieties. Uh, I've been hearing that it's been a lot wetter in the summer in Maine and that, like, even hay, well, especially coastal Maine, maybe it's different in central Maine, but that um, August has had just a lot more precipitation. Is that, is that if, if you're, you're talking about your people and your family and, and your family land, is that a... Uh, weather conversation that you've had? Um, I've noticed it getting like prolonged springs, yeah. Um, I don't I don't really know though if, if that's just random or if that's going to be the trend. Uh, it is difficult in May now to get crops in the ground in a timely fashion um, because of the rain, but uh, yeah, just uh, global warming is throwing another furball for us, you know. Uh, I thought you said furball, but I think you said curveball. Curveball. Yeah, well, I just, just, as we were talking about wheat and dry beans, and both of those are crops that really do like to have a dry a little drying off time at the end of the season. Right, right, yeah. So, it's true. So you said you're linking arms with family, and I wanted to just explore that a little for a second. Uh, Were they farming there, or um, in what way are you linking arms? Um, Well, I grew up here as a sixth-generation Mainer, I guess. Um... My grandfather had a apple orchard, which he had health problems and couldn't maintain it. So 
while I was growing up, I grew right up the road on the same land. I saw all these heirloom apples everywhere, you know, growing and just going by. And we would have apple fights, but we didn't know anything about farming, you know. I grew up with two older brothers and a cousin. and I don't know. I think when you grow up in the country, it's hard to leave, so you you try to make make it work, and that's what we're, we're trying to do is try to put the land back into production so that we can live here comfortably. <laughs> um, fortunately, I didn't have any access to my family's land, but Maria, her family had a field that was just abandoned and bush hog for probably 50 years. So it had a whole mess of problems with it. I think uh, the acidity was around 5.5. I don't know if, I guess most people wouldn't understand what that means, but for vegetables, you want neutral pH and um, takes a lot of lime to bring that up in a, a good number of years to bring it back around to a neutral pH. That's what or we've been you doing. could plant a bunch of blueberries. Or we could be blueberry farmers, but I had no history of blueberry farming. All my experience has been on vegetable farms, organic vegetable farms, and I've had a couple of years' experience on a seed farm, so stick to what you know, I guess. You know? So, so you stuck to what you knew, and, and how much lime did you put down? How much? What was that again? How much lime? Oh, each year we put down about six six tons, about a ton to the acre. So, and it, it makes a difference, big difference. And have you watched it come down? Oh, yeah, every year we do soil tests, and it's really incredible, actually. It's incredible to see how much organic matter was there when we first started. You know, if you you think of a, a field just doing its natural process, growing out and then just getting cut and going back to the soil every year, for a long number of years, it'll build up a lot of organic matter, which is really good for your biodiversity of soil organisms micro and macro organisms. So, and that's kind of what we would like to be able to do with the farm is to just incorporate all of our organic matter every year and feed life, but that doesn't really, uh, you know, pay the bills. So <laughs> you got to have, you got to harvest well, if you're growing seed, if you're growing seed, you're really... You could argue that's the most efficient way of keeping the the majority of your carbon, at least, on the farm and just exporting the genetic portions of the, you know, the gonads of the plant. Right, right. No, that is that is good, yeah. We do put a lot of our uh, plant matter right back into the ground, so it does... Um, 
what can you could you come for those who are maybe considering doing um, seed, uh, who are maybe doing vegetable CSA or, or looking for another enterprise to add. Um, well, first of all, seed growing um, contract, how that figures in, and what the advantages and disadvantages are to that, and then how the business of selling seed compares to the business of selling your own seed. Um, yeah. Let's see. Yeah, we're we're toying with the idea of adding more, but right now the the way things are is we have one full time person, and that's me, and kind of a part time person, Maria, and um, our system right now works great where she's doing most of the wholesale contacts for our, our vegetables, the fresh vegetables, and she's been doing a farmer's market. So that has taken a lot of weight off of the, the production and like the field work and the harvesting. I can just focus on field work and harvesting, and then, you know, and then she takes care of the sales end, so... It really helps out that way to have things lined up like that. Um, as far as seed sales go, right now we're we just have a small catalog, and everything is mail order. So I take care of that in the spring, and I do all the. I would say the biggest part of our seed catalog is all the packing and the making of the seed packets. You know, we do everything. We make the seed packet design and we put the description on the back. So really, when you're getting our our seed, you're getting something that's totally unique to us. We didn't we didn't send off to get them printed off somewhere. We We did them on our Mac and Printed them off our printer, so in that way we have a really unique garden product, I would say. And for the the wholesale seed, that that's pretty decent, but it's really risky. Um, you get a couple of crops from a company and and they'll send you the stock seed and hopefully you do everything right and get your split plant spacing right and hopefully everything works out that it produces a large amount of that one thing but but if it doesn't then something happens <laughs> that's that's that you know very risky. So. Um, so if it doesn't come out, you, you have to pay for the stock seed or just you can't count on the income if, if it doesn't meet their specs or explain that a little bit? I'm not sure yet, actually, because I haven't had a crop failure till this year, so I'll be finding out in a month or so <laughs> on what if I have to pay for the stock seed or not. 
What was uh, the, what was what what went wrong? Oh, what went wrong this this season? I I ended up with rust in my gas tank in my tractor, and that put me back probably two weeks in May, right when you need the tractor, and so a lot of my cropping, my planting got all pushed back. So some of those crops just never got in the ground. It was probably taking on too much and not having an apprentice or help. So, so it can't really make you feel like you're just out doing a whole lot of nothing, you know. <laughs> Got tractor problems in May is like the first phase. It's like the first room of hell or something. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It was pretty tough year. So, but we pulled well, through. So there was something you mentioned there that I that I thought would work was bear, bore a little more exploration, and that is the division of labor on the farm, and um, that you have discrete roles that are your roles, and that your wife has roles that are her roles. Um, I'm I'm going into relationship and. This next growing season, a partnership, a growing partnership with someone else, and we're like divvying up the roles exactly as you're saying, and it's it's really great. I'm I I'm I'm feeling very good about it, and especially if it's a negotiated thing. Did you guys have a conscious negotiation period, um, or did that just kind of come about um, without any talking? Yeah, that just came about. I think it was just random. Um, I think, uh, she actually ha- asked if I needed help or where I needed help, and I think I asked her if she could do the market, and she, she said yes, and then, and then the next week I asked her again, and, and she said yes again, so, I, it just evolved with us, we're very, um, kind of on the ground, just trying to make things work, you know, and plans are great and everything. I've planned a lot and seen plans go right out the window, so. So I try not to build up my expectations too high, you know. So where I met you at was the um, Mosca Common Ground Fair, and... Um, I know that there was just the growers, the main grower-to-grower conference, um, but I wanted to just check in on what are your other sources of information, inspiration, uh, allies, and resources? What are the networks that you're using, especially in your seed work? Um, Let's see. I guess... Inspiration for me comes, you know, living, trying to live in a, a just society that everybody pays the, the cost for the products they buy. And I feel like there are all these costs of cheap food and, you 
cheap materials that are hurting the rest of the world. And, and if, if we don't want to pay those costs, then somebody has to, you know. So, I don't know, I just feel, I feel there's a lot of pain in the world, so I try to gain inspiration from that. So... So that means, like, that, that means that I guess you're saying that one of the big motivations for you in pursuing the life that you lead has to do with uh, social justice or causing less less harm in the world or modeling good behavior. Yeah, like that <clears throat> bumper sticker, uh, think globally, act locally. I guess... I guess I don't really attune to any group or anything. I'm just trying to do what's right in my community and trying not to uh, exploit anything or anyone in the process. Do you think people notice? Do people say something? Maybe not. Yeah, they will. Um. Um, there's a bunch of seed growers up in the Pacific Northwest who are really into open pollinated varieties and uh, Pacific Northwest adapted varieties, a lot of uh, Northern European root vegetables and that kind of stuff. And uh, they're they're really clear about, and there's, about six new companies up there. I love to make sure that you know about them and that they know about you and you guys could meet up but, um, or at least talk on the phone sometime. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, they see their businesses really as a direct action around the problem of injustice that they've identified, which is a corporate control and uh, monopolistic control by particular companies like Monsanto in the seed supply. And even in vegetable seeds and the the mother companies of vegetable seed providers. I don't know if you're, um, if seeds have that meaning for you as it has for them or what you think about that. Yeah, definitely um, GMOs have been a concern. There's, you know, there's a lot of problems with tampering with our genetics and and just letting it out into nature to see what happens. And yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess for us, we're just trying to get things back onto a scale that's real. You know, everything is so big. Like, how how can a company be too big to fail? I don't know. Or you know, how can oil companies be making so much oil off something that is kind of owned by everybody. I wish I could just, you know, put ocean water in a bottle and sell it for four bucks a gallon. You know, but that doesn't seem right. I don't know why people aren't being reimbursed for all the negative impacts of other people's wealth. 
think that is a, a conscious thing that's happening now. That people need uh, to be reversed for all this degradation. I like that idea of young people being reimbursed for all the degradation of their elders. Yeah, me too. I, I just heard it like a week ago on the radio. I think it was on Democracy Now. There was this thing called climate inheritance. And how, you know, we were born into this world. We inherit our surroundings. What we can and can't do with them is directly direct related to you know what the other the older generation had either taken or not taken so and there seems well, to be and how totally unquestioned in our society and in our economy it is for those who have to ruthlessly extract and to you know use their power and use their money and spend it how they like and wreck havoc for the long term at the expense of the long term for the short and it's just it's so weird and strange that that would be acceptable behavior right it is very it's just frustrating yeah it seems almost inconsistent with many of the other values of our civilization right yep um yep So if people are interested to order your seeds, this is the time of year when folks start thinking that way. Yeah. Uh, how do they yeah. How do they find you? Uh, we have a website called Groundswell Seed Farm, and currently you can send in a your order with your return address and either a check or a money order, and then we'll mail out your order. Within the within the day or the next day, we try to do it fast. Um, but as soon as we get PayPal, PayPal, it'll be more accessible for people. I think. So look out for. Well, but you know, everybody can go to the post office and get a money order. Sure. Yeah. But I think most. I mean, people I'm not are... saying I'm not saying poo poo to PayPal. I'm a big PayPal friend, they're my pal, but, uh, you know, that's a nice service that the Postal Service offers, and they don't charge very much for it. I don't think they charge anything for it, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I cherish that free thing. Um, I really thank you for your time. Uh, I wanted to make sure to remind you and to remind our listeners that we, Greenhorns, have a new publication coming out. Uh, If you liked our book of 50 Essays by Young Farmers, you will love our almanac. It's it's called the 2013 New Farmer's Almanac. It's 320 pages long, highly illustrated, uh, with useful and entertaining information for those uh, farmers and others who are dealing with practically with the unknown. There is a calendar, um, zodiac calendar, and uh, kind of biodynamic planting calendar embedded in there, Uh, although there are no predictions about the weather. So 
Now you know you can order it from us by sending check or money order <laughs> to the Greenhorn, P.O. Box 13, Hudson, New York, uh, 12534. Okie dokie. Mike, I, I thank you very much. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll see you next year at Common Ground Fair. All right. Thank you. It was nice talking with you. Okay, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week for more Radio by Young Farmers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.